My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. And so, you know, the conversation, it's not heavily spoken about, but there's an understanding that, you know, if you want to be financially independent, you've got to put in the hard yards and, and do the work. And and one of the things that's really, it's such an interesting topic is as a parent, how much of a leg up or how much of a, how much support do you give your child? This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with Amazon best-selling author, chartered accountant and founder of the Freedom Warrior Program, Selena Kilkarni. We'll hear about the various structures built around preserving wealth and how you can best help your children understand how to do the same, starting from as young as 5 years old. Kilkarni is passionate about helping people pass on their wealth to future generations through property. She begins unpacking intergenerational wealth with a general overview. Such a fascinating topic and I think I want to pre-qualify everything that we discuss in this podcast with the um, asterisks of um, you know, studying how people successfully pass on and create intergenerational wealth has been a a real kind of passion project for me for the last 20 years and I've I've read lots of books and I've spoken to people who run family offices and I've I've spoken to people who are second and third generation recipients so I've 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 got a very broad picture of you know what it takes and how to make it work but I think what I would add to that is creating intergenerational wealth is really if I'm hand on heart, it's about stacking the odds in your favor. There's no guarantees. You could do, people constantly ask me, like, how do you structure from a trust and company and, you know, beneficiary point of view to preserve wealth? And the truth of the matter is that if the recipients wanted to, they could blow it up <laughs> if, they, if they weren't educated or didn't have the wisdom. So I think this conversation about, creating intergenerational wealth is is really about how do you stack the odds in your favor and I think anecdotally, anecdotally I've got a lot of ideas um, but I don't think there's one right way. Well, maybe let's just take one one sort of path down and, and think sort of like you know what would you do if and I'll, I'll just throw this maybe example in is you know you're looking to, to pass on say your portfolio of properties to your children 
and you know they they may not be educated but they know that that there is a little bit of uh, i guess you know a, a, a big chunk of equity inside and in most of the portfolios are you know generating quite a bit of wealth and throwing off and you know touch wood this doesn't happen but for, for whatever reason you know something happens to us as parents and you, you know has to get passed on to the kids but they don't know too much about it what would you do to set that up to sort of you know, help them guide them through yeah look it's a it's a really interesting topic i think um if I were to pick one thing that I think makes the has the biggest impact on your capacity to create wealth that lasts a hundred plus years, it's about the way that you talk about money in the house. I think you know if you speak to people about you know how were they raised, was money spoken about? You, you get people at you know both ends of the spectrum. You've got people who you know money was a taboo topic and never talked about in the home, and then. At the other end, you've got almost like a an obsessive uh, discussion around money at the dinner table, and so I think it's um, you know having decisions around how are you going to help foster a healthy relationship for your kids or your nieces and nephews or people that you care about. How are you going to foster a good relationship with money? Because I, I what I have witnessed and what people tell me is that. If you don't have that conversation, if you don't imprint your worldview about money onto your kids, they will get it from elsewhere. They'll get it from their friends at school. They'll get it from, you know, whoever. And so just being really mindful not to, you know, even throw away phrases about how you feel about money. You know, kids are just sponges and they just absorb it. So I think trying to work out what are my money values and how am I going to educate and convey those to my children or people I care about is probably the fundamental, the most critical factor. Yeah, it's actually good that you raise that up because it makes me think as well too because my kids are still quite young. They don't really understand the value of money except using it to buy toys, <laughs> which is still at that early stage. But I, I think, you know, I, I'm quite in, in my sort of personality is that I'm, I'm more of a strong saver so I keep encouraging them to, to think about saving the money and my son understands a little bit about um, calculating the money because he, he's he's quite smart in that sense you know but he's always wanting to use it to go and buy toys because you know what what you know seven or eight year old doesn't want to you know they've got once they've got a bit of money they're going to go and buy something with it but I think um, to sort of explain to him the value of it is saying, you know, if you've got $100 and you're going to spend $80 to buy one toy and you've got only $20 left, next time you might not have that much money to be able to buy the next thing you want to do. So think about it, how you're going to split it up carefully. And I kind of instill those kind of ideas and principles with him. Whereas I myself, I guess at a very young age, I'm just talking from experience, my dad has sort of instilled me. And, and because I grew up in a family where at the dinner table, I was always talking about what's happening in the business because dad operated a business for, for you know more than two or three decades and around the dinner table would come home and be talking about you know what's happening with that, that supplier what's happening with that customer and it was kind of just natural talk all the time so we kind of pick all these things up and i end up picking up a lot of sort of saving kind of skills and, and conversations behind it because thinking okay how do we reduce that to increase the profit margin for this and yada 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 in the end it kind of did help me with, with where i am now because it's kind of helped me to understand about the power of saving then also the power of investing that money you know every dollar that you can earn or save and put that away and, and let that money work for you 
you know, helps you leverage up to be able to do a lot more things. And that's been the beauty of having that conversation. So coming from that personal experience, I definitely, I can see how it's helped. But I'm, I'm also wondering how do kids also understand the value of money in today's generation because with, you know, coming back to property, the the value, especially in the most recent sort of boom, I guess you can say in, in across Australia, we've seen property prices reach anywhere up to like, you know, $2 million on average now for the thing and you think how are our kids, our future generations going to be able to afford to even just buy a home? You know, not many young kids have $2 million in cash or even maybe a 10% or 20% even deposit to be able to afford something like that. So, how do we consider that for, for future intergenerational wealth for them to be able to live as well? It's definitely true what you're saying. Affordability has become, you know, a, a pretty scary thing and, you know, who knows whether that trend will continue or whether it will plateau out because I think the truth of the matter is that, you know, people can only afford what they can afford and I think this is where education is super, super important. And like, it's great that you're having conversations with money with your children. I, I did the same with my kids from a very young age. And, you know, the seed that I planted with them probably when they were after the age of about five is that, you know, owning investments and owning real estate, which pays you money, is what will give you the freedom to, to choose the life and design the life you want, you know, never having to work for the money, work because you're passionate about it or whatever. And so, you know, the conversation, it's not heavily spoken about, but there's an understanding that, you know, if you want to be financially independent, you've got to put in the hard yards and and do the work. And, and one of the things that's really, it's such an interesting topic is as a parent, how much of a leg up or how much of a, how much support do you give your child? And, you know, there obviously isn't a right and wrong answer here. But I've seen some fabulous examples of really creative ways that as a parent you can support your child and help them into the market. And it could be that, you know, down one end of the spectrum you, you say to them, well, you buy your first one on your own. You know, you go and get two or three jobs when you're 18 or 19 or whatever and you just get your foot in the door. And when you can demonstrate to me that you've got the wherewithal to, to get started, then we can work together on other deals. Or, you know, maybe you help them from the get-go. Maybe you go half-half. Maybe you help them into their first deal or maybe you buy them their first property so that they, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things and there's no right or wrong. But what I think is important is, you know, trying to educate your future recipients on how to grow wealth like that has to be highest priority because what I've witnessed over my last 20 years is people being the recipients of quite large sizable estates and then kind of going well I don't really know the purpose of holding real estate or how to do anything with it and so what they end up doing is they sell they can't afford to hold the property um, they need the cash for their life. Maybe the asset isn't throwing off any cash flow and they don't know how to tweak it so that the wealth gets preserved. And so, you know, one of the topics that I'm, I'm really passionate about is, you know, I'd love to see people getting wealthier as each generation goes. And unfortunately, um, you know, what I see over and over is like you make the money 
it gets passed on to your kids, the kids blow it up and the next generation has to start again. And I know people who are grandchildren of who are, you know, our age who basically are the grandchildren of people who amassed huge property portfolios and now as the grandkids in their, you know, 40s and early 50s, they have nothing to show for it, like nada, and they're starting over. And, you know, this is after their grandparents had bought, you know, what would be tens of millions of dollars worth of property today. And so that that is heartbreaking. And so, you know, I think we talked about this before we, we started today. If you're going to think about creating wealth that's intergenerational and, and legacy, from my perspective, the word legacy, all it means is influence, financial influence for, from a financial point of view, that is. And so if you want to create financial legacy for your family, you've got to educate because I, I, I know and I've read books of, uh, you know, like in the, the story that I tell sometimes is two brothers, um, same family, same upbringing. One becomes a school teacher. The other one is a very successful business owner. He uh, creates a multi-million dollar business and on his death, he passes $10 million down to his three children. The other brother becomes a school teacher, doesn't earn huge amounts of money, but is much more vigilant around the way that he, you know, his stewardship is excellent and he passes down a really small annuity of $30,000 to his kids. And then, you know, after a period of time, they go back and they check in and, and basically the kids who inherited the $10 million, it's mostly gone. The kids who inherited the $30,000 annuity have gone on to considerable success in their own right because they've used that as a springboard. And so what I say to people is don't worry. People, people I speak to worry about how much money they're leaving behind. And my, my suggestion um, and my gentle suggestion is focus more on, you know, the wisdom that you're leaving behind because if, if they've got the wisdom to take whatever you leave and amplify it and preserve it, that's going to be far more valuable than just leaving them a lump of capital which could be dissolved or sold or lost very quickly. That's so true and it, it does make sense. You kind of think about it, you know, if you don't know like, Maybe an example would be like Lotto. <laughs> if you've been li- living an average life and you know you've been earning the average wage and so forth for twenty or thirty years of your life, and then suddenly you you get a, a windfall of like twenty million dollars from Lotto, you go, "Wow, this is fantastic! What am I going to do? Firstly, you're going to spend it, and then you'll start to have more people who might know that you've won Lotto, you know, come up to you and ask for money as well, and you think, "Oh, there's a lot of money," but it's so easy for that, say, you know, twenty million dollars to be all spent and used because you don't know how to use it wisely whereas if you've had the knowledge to say okay if I'm going to actually take say, that amount of money and invest it in, in things that can actually grow and then use it to obviously enjoy as well parts of it then that could potentially be growing out to be a lot better in the future as well so it's that that knowledge I guess is so so important. I think the knowledge is really important and um, I think a little bit of hardship is okay. I think we we um tend to want our children to avoid any hardship. And I, I have a, a, a close friend in the States who comes from his third generation intergenerational wealth. And he told me that when he was growing up, the attitude inside his household was, 
you got to make your own way first. You know, the family wealth will always be here, but you got to find your own way. And he's so, so grateful for that learning. Coming up after the break, we delve into the problem of entitlement and how to avoid it. I think, you know, we, we don't want our kids to suffer. We don't want them to struggle maybe the way that we did. But at the same time, if, if you don't um, allow your kids to have a little bit of heartache and pain around finding their own way, then, you know, that's when you end up with this uh, issue that a lot of people are concerned about, which is entitlement. The issues that crop up around inherited wealth. And what I have also witnessed is siblings who can't agree. And so that becomes a, a point of contention as well. We discuss how to start the search for the best team of advisors for you and your family. I think there's uh, a number of ways you can do it, but um, you know, there's there's lawyers that specialize in estate planning. There's accountants that specialize in estate planning. So um, finding people in either of those spaces, but recognizing they don't have the full picture is important. And that's next. I'm Taran Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Let's be real, deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So, I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall allowing for the development to continue. Five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So, do you want to get a better return with lower risk on your money? Then register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Kirkani discusses some of the ways you can help your kids through their struggles without holding their hand too much along the way. I think, you know, we, we don't want our kids to suffer. We don't want them to struggle maybe the way that we did. But at the same time, if, if you don't um, allow your kids to have a little bit of heartache and pain around finding their own way, then, you know, that's when you end up with this uh, issue that a lot of people are concerned about, which is entitlement. You know, we, you know how, do you, how do you stop your children expecting that you're just going to pass your wealth onto them so they don't have to try that hard. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough balance. Um, and, you know, I think the wisdom's important, but I also think, you know, while your kids are young enough, letting them suffer a little bit or letting, letting them strive so that they're going to be much more resilient and wise around money later. Absolutely. And giving them that experience because, you know, if they don't go through hardship, they won't ever experience what it's like because that's the real world out there. You know, it's like literally, I guess as parents, we also want to shelter our kids so that they don't go through hardship or, you know, experience the bad things. And that could not just necessarily be for money, but also too for just even just going out to the real world to work and, you know, 
do certain tasks and so forth like that if they don't experience what it's like to be in the real world they'll never ever grow so it's it's the same principle in in many ways i i did want to also ask about a little bit more about protection though uh, I mean, there's reasons why we set up trust and there's reasons why we have that passing on to our kids. But is there any way that could be put in, say, for future generations for them to only access the funds at a certain level or a certain way? Or is that basically once it's been passed on, you kind of have absolutely no control even when you passed? It's definitely an interesting topic in terms of like, how do you use structures to protect the wealth? And And what I would say to you is I think there's structures which are tax effective. There are structures which offer asset protection. But ultimately, when you're gone, when you're not around, the decision-making powers have to go somewhere. And and that's why I say that, you know, I, I've seen people who have gone to the nth degree to structure so that, say, for example, their child makes a poor marital choice or whatever, the, you know, the assets are protected and that's one part of it, but then what happens if the recipient, I don't know, like just decides throw it all away, like let's just sell it all, like let's just divvy it all up. And what I have also witnessed is siblings who can't agree and so that becomes a, a point of contention as well. And so one of the um, one of the things I really encourage my guys to create is what I call a a family investment charter, which is kind of like a, you know, it, it's not so much a legal thing. It's more of a, here are kind of the general rules of the game and, you know, all the components that could possibly be part of that. This is how you play the game. Um, and it's more of like an intent rather. I mean, we could talk for hours on that one, but, you know, it's, I think legal structures give you part of the solution and there's some clever people out there doing some clever things. But what I know for sure is that the ATO are, you know, methodically sewing up every single loophole that they can find to make sure that no one avoids tax, and that's understandable. But I, I think, you know, good structuring in tandem with, you know, education, wisdom, making sure you are surrounded by a network of advisors who can help you navigate and keep the you know the wealth together and intact is is another piece as well yeah it's it's really really important education is part of it and i think that would have to be instilled at them at a very very young age as well too so that they can actually know that by the time they reach a mature age that they can make their own decisions that they already know what to do and, and can follow the footsteps but also to what you mentioned that I think was very important is having trusted advisors around and hopefully if there is a point that you can pass on those trusted advice to your kids as well, it would definitely be helpful because obviously, you know, these trusted advisors would probably also pass as well in our generation and hopefully they would be able to have either future generations taking over their, their um, I guess, advice and you know, passing on their businesses so that they can also help our families as well. That, that's it's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, and just on that as well, like there's a concept called the family office, which you may or may not have heard about, and it's where you know high net wealth individuals go to the effort of setting up their own private office with legals, accounting, all the finance, and, and you know investment management in 
like basically an organisation that exists for the sole purpose of managing family wealth. And obviously, like to do that, you need to be worth a, a fair sum of money to justify that. And there's lots of permutations that exist around that, like, for example, uh, family offices that can potentially work with multiple high net worth individuals. So um, I, I think there's lots of different ways to skin the cat in terms of, and, you know, what I really want to emphasize is you don't need to be worth $100 million to justify the need to surround yourself with people who can support your wealth, uh, you know, preservation goals. Um, you know, you're right, in one generation, let's say you've got a great accountant and then, and they, they're obviously not going to be around. But if you educate your recipients on how do you find a great accountant, like what should you be looking for, um, then that goes a long way towards making sure that when the person that you've got right now in that seat isn't there or maybe you've got multiple people in that seat that they know what to look for. And this kind of leads on to sort of more estate planning as well too. Like especially with, with property investors, I'm sure that a lot of them have focused a lot and heavily on investing their properties and building up the structures and talking to accountants and legals and stuff. But I don't think there's enough that we, you know, on, even on this podcast have covered much about estate planning. What things would you suggest or, or look into for estate planning if, if that's something that you've done? Because obviously, we just talked a little bit about, you know, passing this on, but you've got to also discuss and talk to the right advisors on how to structure these as well. I mean, we're not giving specific advice on how, how to go do it, but who would you recommend to speak to? Where would you start? That That's, you know, a big question mark for me as well too, actually. I think there's uh, a number of ways you can do it, but... Um, you know, there's there's lawyers that specialise in estate planning. There's accountants that specialise in estate planning. So um, finding people in either of those spaces but recognising they don't have the full picture is, is important. Um, where I tend to focus my energy is more in the practical mechanics of how do you pull it all together. So how would you create a family investment charter? How do you communicate with your children? How do you educate them? Um, how can you be really creative to make the the rules of the game fun and engaging? How do you manage the spouses of people coming in? Like how do they participate? Um, you know, and so it's, it's not the legals and the mechanics. It's more around the softest sort of skills. And to be frank, there's not a lot of content out there on that subject. There's plenty of uh, opinions on how to structure for um, intergenerational wealth, how to make sure legally things happen the way they do. But as I said, like I think all the legals and whatever in the world, they don't account for personalities. They don't account for real life crises. Um, they don't account for, you know, potentially the fact that, not all siblings are made equal. Not all kids are born with the same skills. You, you could have five children in one family and one of them's got amazing strength around money and the other four don't. What do you do? And so those are the sorts of pragmatic type conversations that I think people fail to have because they're all most people are just talking about how do you structure and who do you go to for that rather than thinking, you know, what's the strategy or strategies that we need to think about to make sure that we give 
you know, every chance that a dollar that we put into our wealth bucket today is still there, you know, in 100 years, which is what we talked about before. It's so true. It's something that is not talked about a lot, you know, and it's not something that a lot of us really think about because it's it's so far in the future. You know, you touch wood that you've still got many, many decades ahead of us to, to live. But when you start thinking about the changes that's happening in our society, the generations that are coming and forth, you need to start thinking more and more about this as we're getting older and older. And um, it's kind of made me think, you know, I've got four siblings, or including myself in my family, and we've never really got together to even talk about it. My, my parents are becoming, you know, of age, they are getting a little bit older. And I don't even know how we'd raise a conversation like that with them now I think about it. Uh, have, you, have you ever come across that for yourself or, or other clients is it? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, how do you have those conversations? How do you set aside time to have the conversations in a way that people feel heard? There's like an agenda. Um, You know, how do you, you know, to some degree, it can be conflict resolution 101 in in some families. But I think the point is that uh, it is really useful to raise the topic and find out where people sit you know is it worth us getting together as a tribe and trying to you know you know one thing i i I really admire is that there are a lot of ethnic communities that have migrants that have come to australia and they've banded together as a community to build wealth and whether it's within a family or within say for example a community and like I, I remember I, I had a, a girlfriend who's still a dear friend of mine from the Vietnamese community and she came here as a refugee and her mother, father and a series of Vietnamese families got together and created a little bank for themselves. And, you know, they would lend, they would take it in, they had a whole set of rules around how the money got lent out and, and what that looked like and how it had to be repaid. But they created a a mechanism for building and supporting each other as a community. And you know what? That's really what we should be doing inside our families is I I think it's awesome, the idea of building wealth as a, you know, a, a tribe of some variety. I think, unfortunately, in the Western world, the way that we know it is it's kind of every man and, and family for themselves, man and woman, I should say. Um, but um you know, it's kind of once you've got your own nuclear family, that's how, you know, that's the extent of your wealth building capacity. And it's probably another reason that we're not getting wealthier as, um, you know, from generation to generation is our, our idea is once we're in our own little bubble or our own little family, that, you know, the financial well-being is about how do I look after my family? Um, whereas if we kind of got together with our siblings and our parents and whatever we could kind of go well like in your family Tyrone he's got all the skills he's got all the relationships let's see what we can do together as a as a tribe yeah I I really like that and and it's really changed my perspective on this because (laughs) I mean we've kind of had very brief discussions in my own sort of family as such and we've got a large large extended family as well and I've tried to bring them all together as well at one stage because we were running all very much a very similar family business. And we thought, why don't we just put our heads together and put everything into one because it makes more sense. Um, we can get a lot more buying power, etc. It didn't go ahead because everyone has different shares and different so forth. 
But I'm like just thinking about my own siblings for four of us and as we're, we're growing older, I think the big question that would probably come back is why are we all, all coming together to ask this question now, you know? Because it's not like, you know, my parents are going to be passing away in the next couple of years or something, but it's, I, I just, I'm trying to see how we frame it so it's a positive light because it's very easy to get misunderstood thinking you're just wanting after all our wealth that we built up, you know, to be amongst like four kids, but how do you, decide who's going to get what you know should be equal equally split or should it be it's a tricky topic and i think the thing is that when you look up the line to to your siblings and parents it's it's even more complicated because there's lots of water under the bridge and so for, for some families that's just not recon- you can't reconcile that they, they can't work out how to you know get everyone on the same page and start rowing the boat the same way but you've got much higher probability if you think of your own little family tree that will evolve and how can you be someone who influences the kids of your kids of your kids you know like how can you be the the catalyst for something new um and there's so many ways you can be super creative about that you know with the technology we have available to us and um i think it's about being open-minded and creative yeah and and i guess taking it from a a, a different sort of perspective to say how can we help each other rather than say you know what's in it for me kind of thing totally i mean and that's often a good way to come at it like if you're an adult with siblings and there's kids in the picture like lots of nieces and nephews and your kids is talking about it from the context of how could we initiate something for them and for their kids um, you know, that's probably the best way to come at it, I think, if, you, if there's any sensitivity. Thank you to Selena Kilkani, our guest on this special episode of Property Investory. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now. And I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as six months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 